Alright, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the uh, the gospel that we've been uh, speaking about and singing about and uh, and hearing about all morning. Uh, as Chris shared from uh, from your word, from those psalms and, and the passages, the other passages, Lord, that your love is uh, is so great to us that you uh, um, blot out our sins, that you remove them from us and and uh, and pour your love out on us through your Son. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we um, listen and, and uh, study this passage from Acts, uh, that you would teach us how we can uh, best or be better live out the, uh, the gospel and, and do that together. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right. Uh, well, as I was preparing this uh, this sermon, I, I sort of kept thinking back to uh, the camp a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had a combined church camp um, two weekends ago with uh, Warrigal Presbyterian and, and Armenian Christian Fellowship, um, and I'm, I think most of you were probably there at least for part of it. Um, and it was just such a great time of, of bonding um, between churches uh, over the gospel, um, uh, over our shared love for Jesus and, and our shared mission, I guess, uh, as God's people in the world. Uh, people, uh, many of them we'd never met before, um, and it was, yeah, just great enjoying, I guess, uh, enjoying Jesus together, enjoying being Christians and um, doing the gospel together, I guess, in that sense. Um, and it, I guess through through this passage and, and just in light of that, it got me thinking about how beautiful it is when Christians come together for the cause of the gospel. Uh, when we come together to do the gospel well, to live it out and to preach it out well together. Uh, it brings joy to us and it brings joy to God as well. And... Look, the long and the short of it is that's basically, I think, the point of this passage, um, which I'll, I'll sort of explain as we go along. We'll see lots of examples of Christians coming together uh, and doing the gospel well. Um, so, with that being said, let's um, let's sort of dive in and we'll work through the passage and, and see these examples and, and look at how they can help us uh, learn to do the gospel well together as well. Uh, so I've got two sections this morning, um, as you'll see in your bulletins. Um, the age-old distinction of word ministry and service ministry. And this, this passage sort of fits quite nicely, it sort of divides up um, in, the fir- in, the, in the middle there. So let's dig into that first section, uh, the word ministry or preaching the gospel together. Uh, Luke starts off uh, in verse 19 by telling us about the the Christians or the believers who had been scattered after there arose a persecution um, following Stephen's martyrdom. Um, This verse sort of, I guess, uh, places us or or fits us, um, grounds us within the the big picture of Acts. Um, But it also, I think, tells us something quite profound um, about the gospel and about how the gospel spreads. And it's, um, I guess, quite important as we come to a passage um, about the gospel that we think through what 
it is we're talking about. And obviously, like I said, we've spent the whole morning talking about the gospel, um, but here's just another aspect of it. Um, You've got a little map in your bulletins, and I've um, sort of adapted it on the... There's a PowerPoint that Dave will put up. Um, Yeah, so there's a a little bit of it, um, because a lot of Acts sort of is shaped around the geography of where the gospel's spreading. So we'll just do a little bit of a recap, just to think through how the gospel is spreading and and what Luke is, uh, is bringing us back to in this verse 19. Um, so the church had started in Jerusalem, nice star there, um, Acts 1 to 6, we see the, the gospel spreading and, and the church in Jerusalem interacting. And then in chapter 7, uh, we get this turning point where Stephen uh, gives a speech, it angered the Jews and they stoned him, uh, and they began to persecute other Christians and they spread out throughout Judea and Samaria, and that happened in chapter 8. So there's arrows, Dave? Um, we got some technical difficulties. Oh well. So the gospel spread out through Judea and Samaria. Um, there we go. <clears throat> um, now that's significant in the in the story of the book of Acts uh, because the Judea, the region of Judea and Samaria. If you look back in the Old Testament, that sort of corresponds to the to the the where ancient king the where the ancient kingdom of Israel was um, and so Dave if you go to the next bit there's sort of like a, a ring roughly around where ancient Israel I guess sort of was in that sense and so as Luke records the spread of the kingdom of Jesus he points out that this is reaching uh, the essentially where the the ancient kingdom was as well. So Jesus is fulfilling that ancient kingdom prophecy. Um, and uh, But notice how it happens, right? This is not some, some mighty king uh, bringing armies and conquest all throughout this region. This kingdom spreads through the preaching of, of the crucified king through the the scattering of persecuted people. This is, it's flipping the whole cultural expectations on your head, I guess, of what a kingdom is. Um, And now we see in chapters, uh, in chapter 11, um, the same thing happens again. The kingdom spreads through the scattering. Those who scattered travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And again, there we go, we see... It's spreading now even beyond where the kingdom ever, where, where the Jewish kind, kind of expectation of a physical kingdom ever would have been. The kingdom of God spreads throughout the world, not through conquest, but through the preaching of a crucified Messiah. The, the message of the Lord crucified, held up as a, an object of shame and scorn and curse. Shedding his blood to save people, as they said on the cross. You know, he saved others, can't he save himself? Well, he does save others by refusing to save himself. By shedding his blood, he saves us. And that message spread Again, through the scattering of, peop- of his people, scattered through persecution. 
It doesn't sound like a victorious kingdom, but that's what it is. This is the message of God. This is the kingdom of God spreading throughout the world. Paul calls this, of course, the the weakness of God, the foolishness of God. Uh, Ironically, of course, since God is neither weak nor foolish. But God works through what seems like weakness, what seems like foolishness, to bring about his kingdom so that his power and wisdom and glory would be seen through all of it. And so, as Luke said, this gospel is spread throughout uh, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Uh, So, back in Acts chapter 11... Luke tells us two types of people are spreading the gospel. There's one group, the majority of the, of the believers, who are spree- speaking only with Jews. Uh, now, we shouldn't really hold that against them. That's something we've seen all throughout Acts, isn't it? Uh, it's only in last week's passage that we ever got the first uh, people who weren't of Jewish descent that had really ever heard the gospel. Um, but what we see then is another group of believers who then realised, hey, the the Gentiles need to hear the gospel too, don't they? And so they started to preach the the gospel to Gentiles too. And we see that in verse 20. Um, If you're reading the NIV, you'll see that it says uh, they talk to Greeks. Um, The ESV says Hellenists, but these are Gentile Hellenists, not the the Jewish uh, Hellenists that we talked about and that we saw in previous chapters. the gospel is spreading to Gentiles. These guys are realizing uh, that the Gentiles need the gospel of uh, the, the gospel too, uh, and so they went to Antioch to do that. Um, and again, if you click, there's a there'll be a star that highlights where Antioch is. Um, so there you go. Um, so we, we're going to spend the rest of our, our passage, I guess, in, in Antioch itself. Um, now, Antioch, I kind of like to think of it as being kind of similar to Singapore. If you've ever been to Singapore or um, going through to Asia, um, oftentimes you'll have to sort of stop over in Singapore because it's got a big airport and it, um, a lot of regional flights travel to and from Singapore. So it sort of becomes this gateway from Australia into the rest of it, or into Asia itself in a lot of ways. Um, and, and so there's a lot of people that go through there and, and uh, uh, do business there and some of them stay there. And so there's this big, massive city uh, with lots of cultures and, and religions and people from all sorts of cultures uh, mixing together and, and uh, interacting with one another. Uh, and a lot of, in a lot of ways, Antioch was quite similar. If you were sort of heading into Europe from Palestine, uh, by land of course, you would have to head through uh, Antioch. And so there was a lot of Jews there, there was a lot of Gentiles there, there was all sorts of different cultures mixing. Um, so there was this great opportunity, great need uh, for the gospel to come to the Gentiles in Antioch. Um, and so we, we see in verse 21 uh, what happened when they shared the gospel with those Gentiles in Antioch. It says, 
Uh, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I think that's such a beautiful sentence to read. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, It brings a smile, I guess, to me. Um, Warms my heart to think about that. The the Lord uh, adding to his gospel in this place. Uh, it, it's, it's Jesus at work, doing uh, what he loves, doing what he does best, saving people and doing it uh, in great numbers. I kind of think of uh, a craftsman who loves, uh, I guess, working with their hands. Uh, and they're working so hard and so excitedly that... <laughs> Almost what they're doing with their hands, what they're physically doing, can barely keep up with what they're imagining and and working towards in their mind. This feverish excitement uh, born out of a love for the work and an even greater love for what they will see when they're done. And and so we see the Lord working uh, joyfully in this... uh, in this spreading of the gospel throughout the world, through uh, Antioch to the, Jew, to, the, um, to the Gentiles there. Jesus enjoys bringing people into his kingdom. Jesus enjoys working through us uh, to grow his church, doesn't he? Uh, when God's people work together in the gospel well, it brings joy to the Lord. Um, And, of course, we see in the next few verses that it brings joy to people as well. Uh, News of this reached the church in in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad uh, and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Uh, If you've been with us for a little while, you might uh, remember Barnabas from chapter 4 of Acts. Um, There he was introduced uh, by the meaning of his name. The name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Uh, And he lives up to it here, doesn't he? He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. Uh, And he did that then uh, when the ministry got bigger and bigger and too big for him alone. He uh, sent to Tarsus to to, uh, to get Saul to come and help him. Um, Saul, of course, better now known uh, as Paul. Um, but he'd been living in Tarsus after spreading uh, the gospel in Damascus and Jerusalem. Um, and so they worked together in the gospel in Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Uh, they spent a whole year of their lives Uh, among these Christians, teaching them, encouraging them, helping them grow to be a church full of Jews and Gentiles living and growing and doing the gospel together. Uh, Now, in in the second half of verse 26, Luke gives us a bit of a, I guess, a little cryptic um, insight into the results of this gospel ministry, or at least cryptic to us. Uh, the point of this sentence lies in the, in the word Christian. Uh, the, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, Christian is a very Gentile word. Uh, 
the the Christ half is comes from the Greek. Uh, the Ian sort of part comes from Latin. So it's it's not a word that could come from a Jewish sort of um, uh, etymology, I suppose. Um, so for the gospel, for the Christians or the disciples to be called Christians uh, means that there's recognition by Gentiles that something's going on here. This uh, this movement, the gospel, has made such an impact among the Gentiles that now they need to sort of make up a new word for these people, right? They're taking note. We see that uh, Barnabas uh, and Saul and countless other Christians preaching the gospel together in Antioch is making an impact, not just among the Jews, but among the Gentiles. Uh, Now, I think it's worth pausing here. Um, pausing our, our progression through this passage um, and just thinking for a few moments about what we uh, can learn, how we can apply what we've learned so far. Um, so I think, firstly, we can imitate uh, the response of Barnabas by rejoicing uh, at successful ministries of others in other places, the success of the gospel in other places. Um, I guess to put forward something of a hypothetical, I guess. Uh, how would you react if you heard about an evangelical church in another, in another town that was having great ministry success? Or, or on a more national scale, you know, how would you feel if there was a great revival happening in, in Melbourne or another big city, but in the country churches are ageing and, and dwindling and dying out? Or on an even bigger scale, I guess, um, like I'm sure most of us, or all of us, hope and and pray for a great revival to come to Australia. But what if God says no? What if, uh, before you tell me that's impossible, I guess the Middle East and North Africa used to be uh, the very centre of Christian religion. They used to be uh, overwhelmingly Christian. Uh, But ever since the 7th century, uh, Islam has taken over and Christianity is a, uh, a tiny persecuted minority. I'm sure the, the Christians in the 7th century would have prayed for revival. But God said no and we've seen a millennium and a half of Muslim rule. What if God says no to us and we see a millennium and a half of secularism in Australia? And what if, while we're waiting for a revival that never comes, we see the gospel spread at a huge rate in in other parts of the world, Asia, Africa, South America? If you saw that happening, would you be glad like Barnabas? Uh, Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't ache for our country. Of course we would ache. We, would, uh, we, we all love this part of the world, I'm sure. We all want to see the gospel spread here. Uh, but could you rejoice as well that the gospel is spreading elsewhere? Of course, these questions aren't entirely hypothetical either. 
All of these scenarios are, are, are in some degree happening. There are certainly places around the world where the gospel is spreading more quickly than it is here in Mafra or in Australia or the West as a whole. And, and part of doing the gospel well together, preaching the gospel together well, means that we need to rejoice when we learn uh, or when we see other gospel ministries have more, I guess, success than we do. Secondly, I think this episode sort of demonstrates how different skills and gifts can work together for the gospel. Um, verses 20 and 21, um, those unnamed disciples um, brought, I guess, evangelistic fervor and, uh, and uh, zeal for seeing the Gentiles saved. Um, Barnabas, on the other hand, brought his gift of encouragement um, and the, the theological grounding, I guess, of the Jerusalem-based uh, apostles. Um, and Paul brought a deep understanding of the Old Testament uh, and how it points to Christ, as well as uh, years of experience of preaching the gospel in a Gentile setting. So all of these gifts came together uh, in a way that would preach the gospel well in that ministry setting. And in the same way, each one of us uh, brings our own gifts and skills and shortcomings to the table. God can use each and every one of us, but most often he doesn't use one of us. He uses lots of us working together and, and complementing each other's strengths and weaknesses to accomplish his purposes. Um, that's at least one reason uh, why we come together as a church, isn't it? To encourage one another, to help one another in ministry because uh, none of us can do it alone. <clears throat> uh, and third, the third thing I want to note um, is that we see from this passage that our, our work together in the gospel uh, is really um, work together with God. Uh, we, we, we can never, I guess, forget this. Uh, we work together as Christians, yes, but our work is entirely uh, in vain if the Lord's hand isn't with us. Um, he's the saviour of the lost, he's the king of the kingdom, he's the builder of his church. Um, and we live in his plan, act out, we act out the opportunities that he orchestrates. Uh, we, we find success only through him. Uh, we reach people for his sake and we give the glory to him. We do all of that and, and he uh, maintains his glorious sovereignty over it all. I can't pretend to understand how we work and God works and it's all, we, we do stuff and, and it's all God working through us. He works as we work, it's entirely his work and yet we do it. I, I, I can't pretend to understand that. But we live it out, don't we? We, it, that's what happens. We speak his word with those we come in contact with as we scatter in our everyday lives uh, and he works to build his kingdom and to spread his church. So that's um, what this passage, I guess, has to say about doing 
word ministry or preaching the gospel together. Um, So the rest of the passage deals with service ministry or living the gospel together. Um, So let's work through these verses and and see what we can learn about that aspect. Uh, Verse 27, During this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Uh, And then Luke tells us that this did take place during the reign of Claudius. Wouldn't it be great to know the future? Uh, we have a we have a, a calendar at home, um, which uh, the Bureau of Meteorology puts out a calendar each year, um, and my family likes to get them because they have really amazing photos on them. Um, each month, you get a new photo of some great weather phenomenon that's been photographed over Australia somewhere. But uh, the other thing they have on this every month is like a little caption that sort of. Um, It describes what's happening in the photo, but it also manages to twist it in a way that says, uh, we're essential to Australia working well because we tell people what's going to happen. Sometimes they'll say something about how farmers need to know the weather so that they can get crops and livestock in and out in the right times. Uh, Other months they might talk about the aviation industry or or the fishing or, or so on. Um, but but you sort of they're sort of giving this impression that any industry that uh, interacts with the outside elements um, relies on them, uh, on knowing what the future will bring. And I'm sure most of you can relate to that. We all want to know what the future holds so that we can be prepared. To to the degree that we know what the future holds, we can get ourselves and our homes and our crops and our livestock and our planes and our boats and our superannuation and our this and our that and our entire lives prepared for the future. Except note what the Antioch Christians did when they learned the future. They didn't get themselves ready It says the disciples, in verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. They gave generously to support Christians elsewhere. They lived the gospel together, uh, not just together among themselves, but together with the Judean Christians. They recognised that the believers in Jerusalem and Judea would be hit hard by this famine, so they made sure to provide for them. Now, this this famine was going to affect them too, wasn't it? You know, Agabus said it would it would affect the entire Roman world, but they selflessly thought of their brothers and sisters living in Judea. Um, And they did so practically. They didn't just uh, um, give like those um, people that James and John talked about in their letters, um, who I guess sort of of say a blessing on people, um, but don't do anything, even though they have the means to provide and, and help. These Christians in Antioch gave freely of their own possessions to support their poorer brothers and sisters in a very real and practical way. 
Uh, They gave as each one was able, so they gave proportionally. Uh, They gave generously. They didn't have any obligation to do this, uh, but they did it anyway. Um, And they gave together as well, which I think is sort of something that's a little bit lost in our English translations. Um, But we, you know, you might sort of say the disciples decided, uh, in brackets, together, to send, to provide help together for the believers living, uh, for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did together, uh, sending their gift to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It wasn't individual Christians deciding to send money to his or her uh, favourite cause or charity. Uh, by all means, do that. But, but living the gospel together well means giving together. Uh, giving of our money uh, and our other things that we have in a corporate way as a church. Um, as a church here, we want to be very transparent about what we do um, We share our financial report every year at the AGM. um, And part of the reason we want to do that is so that you'll look through it and uh, and see and interact with how the money you're giving to the church is being used for the gospel. Uh, We want to be doing this as a a church body. Uh, By all means, please read that report or um, at least peruse it in some way. and discuss it, if you want, with, with the elders and deacons. Um, we, we don't want to do this in a way that, you know, we're sort of just giving to a nice charity or, or all um, individually doing our own thing. We're giving together, do, living the gospel out, acting out what we believe in a way that is uh, very corporate. Uh, it's not just about money, of course, although that's, um, I guess, the area where it can be most easily seen and, and thought about. Um, but we want to use our time and our skills and, and whatever else we might be able to offer as well in, uh, in a way that um, is working together in ministry. Um, and the other thing it says is that they did so sending their gift to the elders, and I think that's also a quite an, a significant point um, that... The, uh, the gift was sent to, to the elders of the church so that it would be used in a way that is, uh, I guess, in, in most keeping with the gospel. Um, this, this living the gospel out together uh, and preaching the gospel together, um, they're both vitally important to do as Christians. Um, some people seem to pit word and, and service ministry against each other as if we can only choose one. Um, and to be fair, we are all limited individually. Um, we, we will each have to choose where we spend most of our time. Um, in Acts 6, the, the apostles said, we can't give up the, service, the ministry of the word to go and, and wait tables, as they called it. But even if we're limited as individuals, right, as a church body, we should be focusing on both of these things. Uh, again, in Acts 6, the apostles said, well, we can't give up the, prayer, the, the ministry of the word, but it is important, so choose other people from among this church who will be able to make sure it gets done. 
they they work together within the church this word and service ministry they're complementary they support each other um, they're not the same but they're, they're different forms of what it means to serve God uh, and they support each other people rarely listen to you if that if it doesn't match up with how you live uh, and we, uh, I guess as humans, we're too thick-headed to ever see and believe the gospel in, in the lives of his people uh, unless we hear the gospel preached with words. So they're both necessary. Service ministry on its own is inadequate to save people. Word ministry on its own is generally seen as hypocrisy. But when you put the two together, haven't we just seen in this passage how beautiful that is? Uh, people are more likely to listen to what you have to say because you live it out too. And as they hear, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they believe the gospel and it transforms their hearts. All right, let's, let's wrap all this up. <clears throat> as we've seen in this passage, a, a great example of Christians working together for the gospel. Uh, and we've seen in that example, I guess, a bit of a model of how we can do the same. Uh, we've seen how we can preach the gospel together and how we, uh, by using our different gifts, encouraging one another uh, and joyfully spreading the gospel um, by the power of God. We've seen how we can live the gospel together uh, by practically and generously giving to support our brothers and sisters in need, um, especially in response to crises around the world. Uh, and aren't there enough of those? Uh, and like I said from the start, I think it's, uh, it's such a beautiful and joyful thing to see these examples um, and to imitate them and to see them lived out. How how beautiful it is when the gospel spreads, uh, bringing new people into God's kingdom and building up the church. How beautiful it is when Christians support one another, working together so that none can go without. So let's um, then be those sorts of Christians. Let's be that sort of church, standing together in the grace of God, going out into the world together, bringing uh, the message of our crucified Saviour and Lord into a world that desperately needs it. Let's work together in the gospel so that in every way we can do the gospel together well. And let's now pray that God would make that a reality. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are so... um, grateful to see your gospel spread in the world Uh, we are so grateful that you work uh, that you are powerfully at work um, in uh, in spreading your word in saving souls Uh, and lord we pray that you would use us um, not just as individuals lord but that we would uh, be able to work together as as a church and Uh, not even just as an individual church, Lord, but that we would partner with churches around Gippsland and around uh, Australia and around the world um, to bring your gospel and to live out your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.